Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the online tennis podcast. It's me, Jack, and nobody today is just me. I hope you don't mind my company alone. Today's episode, we're going to be covering the last week in tennis. We're going to cover San Diego. We're going to cover Sofia on the men's side. We're going to cover on the women's side, Chicago. We're going to cover Astana. We're going to cover Indian Wells and the news we've got before that, a few of the wild cards and stuff. Shouldn't take too long. Don't worry. Let's just dive in. I've not even got any small talk, of course, because you can't have small talk with yourself. It's a bit mad. Let's start with San Diego. San Diego... Casper Ruud won his fifth title of the year, his first on hard courts at all. He's becoming a bit of an all-court player, definitely. Um, he beat Cam Norrie in, the, in a very one-sided final. We'll, we'll cover that in a second. Um, I'll let you know exactly what happened. But we'll look at a bit of what happened throughout the week, starting with Andy Murray and his continued comeback. Again, Andy loses to the guy who wins it all. Lost to Casper Ruud in a fairly close match. Just like her catch the week before, who went on to win the title in Mets, just like Matteo Berrettini, who went on to win the title in Queens. Good signs for him, obviously. He's losing against the guy who goes on to win the title overall. But it's a, it's a similar story, quite a close first set. Second set, there was a little bit of a dip, enough for Ruth to take an unassailable lead. They traded breaks at the end of the match. It's becoming a bit of a, a predictable story, I don't <laughs> I'm not going to be pessimistic. He still looked quite good. I think um, the biggest problem against Rude was, well, first, firstly, Rude played an absolute blinder, to be fair. He's playing really fantastic tennis, amazing from the baseline, difficult for anybody to look better than him from the back of the court. And he was a little bit suspect on his volleys. I think it was more to do with his approach shots than his volleys, to be honest. So trying to change the dynamic of play and stop Rude dictating from the back of the court was very difficult especially given Rude's got an absolutely amazing backhand you think trying to approach him in the backhand would work but actually he's got a really accurate passing shot it's better than it looks and it's getting better week by week I think it's one of the reasons why he's having success in hard courts now rather than just clay courts and uh, the serving was a little bit off par for Andy certainly the first serve he wasn't able to get to get up in the point as easily as he would have liked maybe it was to do with the forehand as well a combination of the two I don't want to rip him to shreds because you know the journey continues he, at least he's playing week in week out he'll be playing in Durham Wales next week so let's see how he does hopefully he gets a, a, a nice draw you know he's winning a match losing a match um Let's hope for once that the draw opens up a little bit for him because I believe he's not quite top 10 level yet. He needs a few matches under his belt before we play anywhere near that. So, yeah, I think he needs an, a nice kind draw. Indian Wells isn't really the place that I'm expecting that to happen. Indian Wells is a very slow court normally, and in October it would be even slower. It's not the kind of conditions that would suit Andy. He'd have to be serving amazingly to do well. If he played somebody like Rude again in the first few rounds, I would not fancy his chances. Let's see what happens. You know, anything can happen. Fingers crossed for him. Looking at a few of the other early matches of San Diego, we also had Dan Evans getting very close to the top 20. He's, in fact, he's only 40 points away from breaking into the top 20 for the first time in his career. Just fell short this week. You know, he was up 5-2 against Cam Norrie. He had chances, definitely. I, however, couldn't quite make it. Be interested to see if Dan pushes 
for that top 20, 20 ranking. Well, you know, certainly, you know, I don't think he'll mind too much about the ranking, but if he was able to win a couple of matches in Indian Wales, then it would pretty much be guaranteed for him. So it would be a nice milestone for him. Andre Rublev showing that basically anybody ranked below him doesn't stand a chance against him. He absolutely blew Brandon Nakashima off the court, 6-2, 6-1. He had a fairly comfortable win against Diego Schwartzman, but then he was beaten by Gab Norrie. For me, this is probably the biggest win of Cam Norrie's career. He's had big wins this this year. He beat Dominic Team in Leon, I think, fairly comfortably. But obviously, Team was a little bit, you know, he was he was ailing at that point. So to beat an established top ten player for this year in three sets with some tricky play, seriously impressive. I was very surprised that he beat him. Did a very good job of absorbing the pace of Rublev. He did a good job of drawing Rublev forward, which not many people can do. Obviously, you know, the way Rublev hits the ball, it's almost impossible to dictate any sort of play against him. But if you can give him a sort of short, angled ball, obviously Cam's lefty forehand, lefty spinny forehand does a good job of that. So he was able to get Rublev forward. It's not an easy play to play against him. So he picked him apart and not many players can do that. I was very impressed with the win. So he absolutely deserved to get to the final there. Definitely. Cam also beat Chapel along the way fairly comfortably. Obviously Chapel is prone to you know, some days days off in form, but uh, it's still a very impressive win. So, you know, I was I was very, very happy to see Cam Norrie in another final, um, having sustained four consecutive losses before this tournament. So it was it was, it was a much needed adrenaline boost in form, definitely. Other players that were doing well throughout the week that needed a big win. Karatsev, I was ripping Karatsev just reds in the last episode, but he had an amazing win against her catch. Didn't lose serve in the last two sets. I'm ripping him to shreds, but throughout the year, actually, he's been amazing against top 30 players. 10-6 in the year. Ironically, though, he has exactly the same record against players ranked outside the top 60. 10-6, so <laughs> he's one of those players that either turns up or he doesn't. But it's good to see him... Get, you know, even making the quarters this week was quite a big deal. He he struggled to piece together more than two wins at a time for a few months now. So, really good win from there. And he had an amazing match against Dimitrov. Dimitrov just Dimitrov's another kettle of fish because Dimitrov, again, he I think since making the quarters at the Australian Open this year, I really hadn't done much. So for him to make the semis this week, very very impressed with that. His um match against Casper Ruud that he lost was absolutely fantastic if you haven't seen that go catch the highlights or something because there's some some crazy sort of you know he he didn't get the name baby fed for nothing he, he was playing some amazing just out of this world shots against Casper Root. in fact although he lost 6-4 in the third set he actually ended up winning more points than than Casper Root throughout the match so one more point but you know still give that a watch it's, it's good to see Dimitrov in full flow obviously so go see how he did there Hopefully we can see him do just as well in Indian Wells because he's such an entertaining player when he's on, obviously. He's he's absolutely brilliant. Very odd to not see him in Sofia, actually. I, I imagine he's, he's taking the preparation for Indian Wells quite seriously if he's uh, missing his home tournament. So look out for him in Indian Wells. Would you believe it? Diego Schwartzman is another one who was in need of a big win. He's gone one out of ten against top 30 players this season. That's mad, I think. Or is that now one out of 11, I think, now with... His loss to Andre Rublev included the only win was against Dan Evans in Cincinnati. Beating uh, Lloyd Harris at number 32, I think, counts as a big win for him. He really has been struggling. 
uh, surprisingly, obviously you expect Schwartzman to be sort of an established top 20 player nowadays, but he's not playing like that. Fingers crossed for him, he can, he can build up a bit of form as the season comes to a close. And finally, the final. Rude against Cam Norrie. Let's just dissect that a little bit. It was 6-love, six 6-2 six to Casper Rude. Cam didn't really get going, to be honest. He wasn't serving very well. I think Casper Rude, yeah, he didn't miss a return on the entirety of the first set. So, obviously, Cam, with his lefty serve out, out wide, should be able to win a few more free points than zero throughout the entirety of a set. His forehand as well was a little loose, but to be honest, Casper Rude just set the the bar for the quality of that match incredibly high. You know, even if Cam had been in full flow, he would have had to have been playing really, really well to keep up with him. Rude turned it into a bit of a grind. He almost turned it into a clay court match, standing really deep on return. Really heavy forehands, really heavy backhands as well. Something that Obviously, doesn't get talked about too much, um, given the the main weapon of Rude is his, is his forehand. He he was asked after the match, you know, why he was having success in hard course. He just said it was confidence, to be honest. But it looks as though, yeah, he he turns those matches into a bit of a a clay court match. It turns them into a bit of a grind. It'll be interesting to see if if Rude has success on faster hard courts. You know, the Cincinnati and faster hardcourts like you know like Australia it would be really interesting to see how he gets on in Australia next year you know he got to the forefront this year to be fair so he's doing fairly well at adjusting Cincinnati though he, he was blown off the court by Zverev 6-1 6-3 like I'm not gonna pull him apart because he's playing amazingly well in a sore court to be fair Um, it's just if he's looking forward that's what he's gonna want to do he's established himself as you know one of the sort of top five players in the world on a slow court, so all credit to him. He's playing amazingly well. Absolutely dispatched Senego in the third round. Obviously, the win against Andy. Beat Dimitrov in an absolute classic and destroyed Cam in the final. Well done, Cam Casper uh, Rude. He's now number eight in the race to Turin. 200 points ahead of her catch. You know, I was saying before this this tournament, I didn't think he was going to be in the, the race to Turin because he's a bit, you know, he's not as amazing on hard courts. But to be honest, with Indian Wales coming up, I'm expecting a deep run from there on slow courts. And I am in conditions that should make the ball a bit slower. I think we'll see him at the UN finals. Oh, and one other note, just um, for the Brits, Joe Salisbury playing with Neil Skoopsky. They won the title there. Another week, another title for Salisbury. You know how it is. Um, just what he does. Good for Skoopsky as well because he hadn't had a, a tight on a little while. Good to get carried by two. <laughs> good to find a good doubles partner like Joe Salisbury. Okay, onwards and upwards. On to the Sofia Open in Bulgaria. Sofia, obviously the capital of Bulgaria. For all of you geography ignoramuses. Uh, Sofia was won by Yannick Sinner. Yannick Sinner defending his title from last year. A massive deal for him to be defending a title this young in his career. The pressure going into a tournament as a defending champion is fairly high. So for Yannick Sinner to do it at 20 years old already, I'm seriously impressed with that. It's, it's uh, a very impressive feat. Sinner obviously heading the next generation of players, I would say. That's his third title of the year. He had to beat Gael Monfils to win the title. Monfils in the 32nd final of his career. By making the final, it was his 17th consecutive year making a final on the ATP Tour. Testament to the longevity of this guy at uh, 30, 35 years old, yeah. It's seriously impressive, honestly. The guy obviously goes a bit under the radar with 
you know, the big free heading, heading like the longevity of careers. But at 35 years old to be making finals, that's impressive, man. And he got to the final very comfortably as well. You know, he was serving absolute bombs the whole week. Barely had to break a sweat, to be honest, in any of his matches. You know, yeah, against um, Gianluca Major, Major, the Italian, in the quarterfinals, he dropped six points in serve against Giron. He um, he lost two points in the he lost four points. Sorry, he lost four points in the final set. He gets into the, those moods where you know he just looks unbeatable on defense and attack. However, against a player like Sinner, that sort of playstyle doesn't really fly. You know, if you give him any time, Sinner will eventually put the ball away. It, it looked quite comfortable for him. I think it was three and four or four and three, one or the other, in the final against Monfils. So he kind of just cruised to a win in the end. Monfils playing the same tennis he'd played all week and it you know, didn't work against a player like Sinner who's just got massive weapons and on either wing especially the backhand which I think doesn't get talked about enough is very spinny you know he can create angles from anywhere in the court he picked Monfils apart picked his game apart you know the, the game that he'd been using all week to win so well done Sinner and the fourth title of your career let's talk a bit about the guys who'd lost earlier on in the tournament a few choice losses Diminor unfortunately really dipping in form I think that's one of his last eight matches, really, really tough to stomach. He lost for the second consecutive week to Marcus Giron, who we'll get on to, to be fair. It's not necessarily a bad loss because he's sort of spiking in form. But yeah, he just looks a little bit lacklustre, a bit flat, a lot of slices and stuff, a lot of non-aggression is the way I, I would describe it. You know, his first and second serve quite a lot of the time, levelling out in terms of percentage. Points one, I think, you know, the guy doesn't necessarily do very well. On the slower courts, you know, it might be a bit counterintuitive at first glance, given that he's a guy who tracks down every ball. But I think he needs a little bit of zip in the court just to put away the odd ball that he wouldn't get to put away on a slower court. So yeah, poor Dimonor. Despite having won two titles this year, this uh, this season is not looking amazing for him. He really needs a few good wins under his belt. So fingers crossed for a good idea, Wales. Although, again, on a slower court, he's not necessarily doing very well. So we'll see how he does. I'm not expecting too much of him, though. Lorenzo Massetti, since the French Open, since his uh, crazy loss to Novak Djokovic from two sets up, he has gone 2-7. Two, two wins to seven losses. Similar numbers to Diminor. In fact, you know, just one more win than Diminor. But his uh, win this week was particularly bad. Okay, obviously, you know, every player on the tour is a good player. I'm not going to start dissing this guy Dimitar Kuzminov but he is a wild card from Bulgaria this is his first win at the Sofia Open despite getting six wild card appearances he's a sort of journeyman you know for him this is a massive massive win for Massetti this was a pretty massive loss because he looked very flat he just looked he did not look like the world number 50 odd whatever it is he is he just yeah, he's sustaining some odd losses at the moment, definitely. It's not necessarily the fact he's losing, it's the nature of the losses. He just looked very lacklustre this match. I think he lost, like, yeah, he, he, he couldn't convert six break points in the second set and then the third set sort of ran away from him. So, yeah, be good to see Massetti sort of pick himself up. You know, the guy's still only 19 years old, you know, he'll be fine, but hopefully he keeps his chin up. Kuzminov incidentally lost to Kamil Masrak in the next round, by the way. I think 7-6, 6-1. Yeah, let's talk a bit about Marcus Chiron, who's having a, an amazing season. One of those players who's 
you know, a late bloomer who's um, having a, a nice purple patch in his career late on. I think late on relatively, sort of 27, 28. I think nowadays that's start of a lot of players' careers. And I'm thinking of like Ilya Vashka as well, having an amazing season this year at 27, 28. Giron um, has been on the tour for ages. He doesn't necessarily have any massive weapons, but he's very consistent, very grindy from the back of the court. Not afraid to move forward, though. You know, as soon as he gets a, a chance, he, he closes down the net. He's amazing at his volleys, actually. And he kind of was able to pick apart a player like John Millman, who, you know, arguably has a bit of a similar game style, but he, he was the one that was making the plays to come forward and stuff. He, he, he picked him apart and he... He made the first semi-final of his career, you know, like he'd been in several quarterfinals already and he made the step forward. So the guy's obviously in the ascendancy. He's, he's playing really well. But then against a player like Monfils, who has a you know similarly defensive play style, he, uh, he unraveled. I think he ended up losing the last nine, nine games in a row. So still watch out for the guy. He's definitely in the ascendancy. So just look out for him. Bit more to it. Don't be surprised to see him beat a big player very soon. Oh, and uh, Giron's match against Jean Menard. Oh my God. Like, watch back the highlights of that. The ATP were hyping it up on their website. Nine match point saves for Jean Menard in the, the final game. <laughs> just kind of weird, weird, dramatic stuff. Give it a watch. It's just quite entertaining. Uh, the two players are playing really well. You'll, you'll get to see a bit of that net play showcased by Giron in that game, saving a couple of massive points with some really good closing downs of the net. So yeah, give that a watch when you can. Finally, let's talk a little bit about Sinner's run to the to the title because the guy for me is making a name for himself as a big point player. He, several times during the, the course of the week he was down in the match and you know he just did his, his thing and he he, he he saved himself from some very precarious positions. Igor Garasimov, I think his first match, he was down 4-5 in the second set. Garasimov serving for it. Came back from that against James Duckworth. He was down a bunch of times. I think it set points for Duckworth in the first set. Down a break in the second set. You know, comes back and wins that in straight sets. Duckworth as well, one of those players like Giron having a bit of success later in his career. I don't be surprised if he does well in the coming tournaments. Incidentally, actually, against James Duckworth, Sinner had lost in Toronto. So this was a good way to turn that, turn the dynamic of their rivalry around. And then against Krajanovic in the semi-finals, he was down 5-2. Like the guy's just, he's a comeback player and he, he rolled his way to a title. Winning in straight sets in the end. Every single match, though, he'd been down at some point in a set. So, yeah. Yeah, like he he's he's turning into a big brain player. You know, he really doesn't feel the pressure. I've not seen a match where he's felt the pressure necessarily. Just to, his his shots can unravel every now and then, but it's not really been in a pressure situation. It's just been it's just happened. So I I think the guy. I don't want to speak too soon, obviously, but the guy might be impervious to pressure. We'll see what happens as the race to Turin comes to a close. Incidentally, he is only four hundred points behind number eight Rant Casper Rood now, so. Who knows? It's going to be quite a tight battle, I think, between Rude, Hercatch, Sinner, and maybe Ogden Aliassi. I think one of them, I think all of them, are, are definitely in contention to make the finals. So we'll see what happens. Oh, and finally, a bit more British doubles success. The other Scoopski, Ken, won with Johnny O'Mara. So there you go, two, four British doubles winners this week. Very good news for British doubles. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, moving on. I hope you're still awake. You know, it's just my voice and <laughs> it's just my voice. Hopefully I'm keeping it entertaining enough. We'll move on to some of the women's tournaments this week and we'll start with the Chicago Fall Tennis Classic, a 500 incidentally, so the biggest tournament of the week. We had Garbin Muguruza win there against Onshabur in a three-set final. Onshabur, however, lost the last 10 games in a row, so she kind of did unravel. We'll talk a bit about that in a second. Let's talk a bit about a few of the other things that happened throughout the week. So we saw Kim Kleisters with another attempted comeback. I think this was her first match since last year's US Open. And she didn't do too badly. She was against Sue Weise. And honestly, she could have won that match, I believe. She sort of went on runs of good form and also went on runs of bad form. So obviously, if she was able to piece together that good form, I, I think she could beat most of the top 100, definitely. However, that's not the way, you know, that's not the way it panned out. So she was a breakup in the first set. I think Sue Weise... Sue Weise even won six games in a row to take that first set. So yeah, those sort of dips, obviously, they're not going to cut it on the WTA Tour. It'd be really interesting to see how she gets on in Indian Wells, where she has a wild card. Obviously, massive fan favourite. So I think we'd all like to see her do well. Moving on to an odd breakout player, Mei Hontama from Japan, made it through to the quarterfinals. The 22-year-old, 200-ranked Japanese player had never played in the main draw of a WTA event in her life, but she was able to beat Harriet Dart in qualifying. She beat Caroline Garcia. She received a walkover from Annette Contevit, which was good for her, obviously. I think Contevit would have beaten her the form she was in, but she obviously tired from Estrada the week before. She was able to beat Shelby Rogers in the round of 16. Set up a match with Garbin Muguruza, which, which she did lose, unfortunately. But, you know, it's good to get two wins in the main draw of, a, of an event. And our first WT main draw, super impressive. A bit more in Shelby Rogers losing there, though. Shelby Rogers was able to beat Bianca Andreescu in the previous round. But for me, Rogers, Rogers excels when she's against a player who plays an offensive game style. She's able to play better when she's on defence more often than she is on offence. She, she moves really well, she defends really well. But against Hontama, who has a similar play style, she looked a little bit confused I don't know she didn't know when to to go aggressive she didn't know she wasn't able to put away consistently see a pretty bad loss for Rogers considering she's able to get really good wins sometimes so she, she, that's her that was her sixth top 20 win of the year but she lost fairly badly to uh, not badly but you know it was a close match but she 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 lost to somebody who was making their debut in, in the main draw of a WTA event so bad loss for her technically I think she'll have to She'll have to work on her aggressive gameplay if, she, if she's going to keep doing well this season. Great to Hontama though. Look out for her 22-year-old. You know, I, th- I think I think the way she plays, she could get under a lot of players' skin, a lot like uh, Simona Halep. So look out for her on the tour. Elsewhere, we had Alina Rybakina making a semi-final. Rybakina, not worthy, just because she is, uh, she is for me, she's 22, year olds, 22 years old as well, by the way. For me, she is going to be the next breakout player. I, I think she's amazing. She's, you know, she's got the serve, she's got the backhand. I think occasionally the the forehand goes off the rails. Occasionally as well, our first serve percentage dips. But this week, you know, she was against Veronica Kudermetova at less than fifty percent first serves and still won that match. Although Kudermetova had a bit of a bad serving day as well, she was able to beat 
Bencic as well got a walk over at the end of the match. To be fair as well, it, nonetheless, like Ripikina, super player. She lost to Shibura after sustaining an injury. She had to give her a walk over as well. But there too, she was under fifty percent first serves. I, I think if she can get that first serve percentage up, if she can get the forehand working a bit more consistently, we're going to see her deep in Grand Slam and the biggest events. Definitely, she she's a super player. So keep watching out for her. I think that that breakout is going to come sooner rather than later. Let's talk a bit about the actual final. Muguruza made it to the final, by the way, with uh, two walkovers. She got a walkover against Bondrosova in the semi-finals and a walkover against Azarenka in the round of 16, one of the luckiest runs to a final we've seen in a while, definitely. However, she took full advantage. You know, she played really well. Um, she had to weather the storm a bit for the first set and a half. Shabur just running rings round her. On Shabur is one of the best players I've ever seen. I just love watching her. She's an amazing player, you know. It's the drop shots, I think, that keep the game particularly spicy. She can drop shot from any position in the court, which is why when she's got a backhand, you've really got no idea what's coming. It's brilliant stuff. And she was she was working it in the first set and a half, you know, she went up a set and a break and Muguruza was on her toes the whole time. She wasn't overplaying the drop shot. I think that's when Jabur's at their best, you know, when she's she's playing drop shots sparingly and she's playing them well enough uh, that she's winning most of the rallies. So yeah, really enjoyed watching her. However, she, she unraveled a bit. By the by that by the, by the time she, she went up that break, her forehand was just all over the place. She was even running around her forehand to get to the backhand to try and play those drop shots sometimes to try and play a more consistent shot. But oh my god, when she had a chance in the forehand, she was she was poor. It's very bizarre, obviously, because she's number nine in the race. It's, it's credit to her that she's got such a high level of play when she's playing her best. But she also has she's prone to some dips, definitely. So it was a shame to see her lose the last ten games of the match. Muguruza doing a good job to be fair of just keeping going and keeping her head down and you know there was the odd burst of adrenaline from Jabur so she did well to to um, to weather that definitely. The two of them now Muguruza is number six in the race to Guadalajara. Guadalajara by the way is where the WTA finals are it used to be Shenzhen but obviously for Covid related reasons Shenzhen isn't an option anymore so it's now in Mexico and Jabur is number nine. And with Asaka in the spot above her, we could see Jabur making the finals. So fingers crossed for her. And if she does make it there, hopefully she can redline her game a bit more consistently than she did in the final this week. But um, credit to Jabur anyway. She was she was very good throughout the week. So, but more credit to Muguruza, obviously, who's that's the ninth title of her career. I think seven on hard courts, and the other two on clay and grass are her two Grand Slam titles. What a bizarre uh, run of titles. You would expect her to be doing very well on clay, having grown up in it, but there you go. So yeah, credit to Garbine Muguruza, who was able to win in Chicago this week. Final tournament of this week, probably went under everybody's radar. Very, very under-publicised event in Astana, I would say. The two finalists, the top seed and the second seed, Yulia Putintseva and Alison Van Utvang, are... So Putintseva was around number 50 in the world at the start of the week. Utvank was around number 80 in the world at the start of the week and they were the top two seeds. It gives you an idea of the level of ranking of the players at this tournament. Putintseva probably playing there as a Kazakh. You know, it's a home tournament for her. Both players were very comfortable runs to the final. Both having to beat three players, I believe, outside the top 150 and then beating a sort of 90-ish ranked player in the semis. Fairly comfortable for both of them, so there wasn't much going on in the early matches in the early in the early rounds of the tournament. 
In the final, though, Van Uitvank wins a fifth WTA final. And it's a fifth one in a third set. So she, she's got an 100% record in WTA finals. She's, she's won all of them in a deciding set. Absolutely outstanding record. I, I would struggle to find another player with a similar record because it's, it's, it's a very, it's an oddity, definitely. For Putin Seva, though, obviously, she was, she was gutted to lose at home. She was throwing her racket around. She was pretty annoyed. But you can understand that, obviously. You know, if you're playing at home and a lot of pressure on you to win the final, then it's fair enough that I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm speaking for, for Gav here. Gav would, would definitely be like, you know, oh, fair enough, fair enough, you know. So I'm not going to do a Gav impression, never mind. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's what he'd be saying. Putting Seva in various positions to win the match, I would say, as well. So you can understand her frustration. She was a breakup in the final set. Vank, though, playing some amazing tennis, the backhand in particular down the line, incredibly impressive. Putting Seva kind, not unravelling, but some choice drops so near the end of the match, kind of costing her. I, I think maybe just the focus wavered a little bit at the tail end of the match. But Vank, you know, Vank's a final player, obviously, with, you know, with uh, an unbeaten record. So she's obviously got a very cool head, and it was a much needed win for her. I think she's now like number 50 in the world, but. She was outside. Certainly, she was outside the top one hundred for the year before this match. So she hadn't had a win for a long time, and uh, putting Seva to, to at least get to the final, you know, that's impressive. So yeah, I think she can, she could be fairly happy for her run. Obviously, if she lost a player a lot lower ranked than her at the start of the week, then she would have been a lot more upset at herself. So good run for putting Seva, and really good win for Alison Van Utfank. Right, finally. I'm going to get out of your hair in a bit. Don't worry, guys. Just like I will be gone very shortly. I'm just going to talk about Indian Wales very briefly. There's not much to talk about. I'm just going to talk about the wild cards and a few of the players that are out. We have got Novak Djokovic out. I think he's doing some charity event. I'm not 100% sure what he's doing, but nowadays he doesn't even, you know, he doesn't give a, a toss about Masters. You know, he, he's a. He doesn't give a, He definitely doesn't care about the number one ranking. I'll put it that way. But um, yeah, I, I I think he is actually doing something for his charity. So he couldn't make it there. Arena Sabalenka also out on the ladies' side. She tested positive for COVID, unfortunately, so she couldn't make it. The wild cards that have made it into the draw, however, we'll take a look at those. We've got Andy Murray, obviously, fair enough. Jensen Brooksby, fair enough as well. I think he made it in after Marin Cilic pulled out. I'm not sure why Chilich pulled out. Might be injury related. Not hundred percent sure. Olga Ruin as well. I, you know, after the form he's he's been showing in a lot of ma- his matches at 18 years old, absolutely understandable. The guy's playing really well. He's a he's a phenom in the making, definitely. If not already a phenom. So on slower courts as well, I think he will be very dangerous. If Andy were to come up against him in the first round, I would not be happy. Put it that way. Jack Sock. Also in the first round, you know, he played really well against Nadal in Washington, I believe. He's still capable of some some good stuff. He's not exactly top ten as he used to be, but he you know, he's a he's a fan favourite. He's been in the top ten. He's gonna earn his way to a wild card. I wouldn't pick that wild card card choice apart too much, definitely. And finally, Zachary Spija. I think this was the most contentious choice for a, a wild card but you know he deserves it I'm just saying that he's a, the most difficult one to choose definitely um, Svija will defended his USD boys under 18's national championship title this year having won it in 2019 as well and he got a wild card to the US as well I believe and won against Chechenato he's been really well so he deserves that wild card too 
And then on the women's side, we've got Kim Kleisters, as mentioned earlier. We've got Emma Raducanu. Obviously, if you don't understand why that's going on, she's number 22 ranked, but because our ranking was 156 weeks prior, that's why she wasn't awarded a wild card. So so the rest, the rest of the women's wild cards, I believe, are young, are generally young Americans. So I will talk about one player who seems to be left out for some reason. I don't know why. But the other ones anyway, Claire Liu, who got into the Wimbledon second round earlier this year. So she's won a couple of futures and she's got to the finals of a couple of futures this year. She's playing really well within her, her uh, level of ranking. She deserves to be there, definitely. Katie McNally, only 19 years old, made the US doubles final this year. She's playing amazing doubles. She's, she's, playing, she's playing brilliantly within her tour, within her doubles, I guess. But she deserves a wild card either way um, for playing brilliant tennis at some level. Katie Volinets. The aptly named 19 years old. I think she's been awarded one particularly because she's from California. And then Kat, Katrina Scott as well, the same, 17 years old, also from California. Uh, you know, although she's the right sort of 400 odd, odd ranked, you know, because I think because she's a California native, she's been awarded a wild card. And then we've also got Ashley Kruger, 17 years old, who won the Orange Bowl in 2020. This is where it gets a little bit odd though, because Robin Montgomery ranked around the same ranking at 17 years old, won the US Open juniors singles and doubles title this year. I have no idea why she's not been awarded a wild card. The six-week thing might be might be a factor again, so probably six weeks prior, Robin Montgomery wasn't really on the radar of these wild card pickers. So yeah, still super odd. And then the final one, Elsa Giacomo, the winner of the junior French Open title, I guess, in 2020. 300, maybe 350 odd ranked. French though, so she's not American. I don't know. I don't know why she's been awarded a wild card. If anybody can tell me at home why she's been awarded one, I would love to know. Because I, I can't see a, a proper reason for her getting one. There must be some agreement maybe with uh, some of the powers that be for her to get a, a wild card. So if anybody can let me know, I, I would love to know. So yeah, there's your wildcard picks for Indian Wells. The Indian Wells starts next week. No draws out yet, so I can't talk about that. Should be a good tournament, no? Okay, yeah, there's a few seeds missing and stuff. Whatever, man. I think it'll be good. We've not had that, you know, we're, we're desperately in need of some big tournaments at the tail end of the season with Shanghai cancelled. So I welcome it with open arms. Hopefully it'll be a good tournament. No word yet on the size of the draw as well, by the way. I will try and let you know in the next episode, obviously. Well, you know, I'll be able to let you know by then, obviously. But uh, I can't see it being a what, round of 128 as it normally is. Or if it is, I think there'll be a lot more buys. We'll see what happens there because obviously, with it being so late in the year, I think it'll be difficult for them to fill in 128 spots so easily as they, as they do at the start of the year normally. So we'll see what happens there. Right. Oh my God, I've droned on for so long. I have to listen to my own voice for 50 minutes. Jesus, I don't know how you guys are feeling about that, but I'm certainly tired of it. Let me wrap up. Thank you very much for being with me. Obviously, it's an odd week with nobody else here. Gav has said he should be here next week, so you'll be able to get the usual expertise from him as well. The next episode should be about Indian Wales, and just a bit of a preview of the draw there and stuff. We'll try and get it out nice and early for you guys so you can get our super professional, super super analytical predictions. In the meantime, if you, if you could give me a follow on jackedward.substack.com or Twitter, that would be much appreciated. You can read my blogs and stuff on there too. Thank you very much for joining me. I'll catch you next time on the Online Tennis Podcast. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers. Cheers.